This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Want to know what's going on in your neck of the woods and learn the history and the people behind the events that you love across the state? Get to know the real Mississippi. Check out MPB Think Radio's Next Stop Mississippi podcast on all platforms or on the MPB public media app. From MPB Think Radio, this is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor and the folks that love to stir the pot. Good morning, Malcolm White here with Carol Palmer. We will be your guides today. We hope that you uh, can join us if you are so willing and interested. Mississippi is full of rich history, and if you look close enough, you'll find a trail for that. From the Blues Trail, the Riders Trail, the Tamale Trail... We have all sorts of culinary storytelling going on with our trails. Today on the show, we talked to Rachel Carter about the new Farm to Fork food trail highlighted in the Mississippi Hills Heritage Area. Representing a distinctive cultural landscape, this area has a flavor all to its own. We'll also talk about flour and how long flour keeps, how to take care of your flour, and we will research and talk to experts about the best time to eat dinner. Malcolm White, Carol Palmer, so glad to see you. Carol, how are you this morning? Hey, Mal. It is so good to see you. We've got a little weather situation in that uh, we've cool. had some fall weather this it's weekend. Cool. And uh, that should change a number of things about food and eating and um, I don't know exactly what, but I think there's some fall food. Soups, uh, I think, uh, come to mind. Get Stews. ready for soup time, hot food time, big pot time. Yeah, the one pot. It's the one pot season. It, it is indeed, but doesn't it feel fun? Feels terrific. Did you have a – you had a birthday, by the way. Happy I birthday. I did indeed. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Did y'all have some – Another year uh, older and deeper in debt. <laughs> did you have some dining <laughs> al fresco out by the lake? Uh, actually, I was with a, a group of women from the Mississippi Women's Forum at a retreat in oh. Holmes County, so there was much fun fellowship and food. All right. Did y'all do some, some cooking or – um, you know, I, I was it more about gotten, the conversation. It was the more. It was more about that. But I'd gotten lasagna, ordered up Chinese dinner for thirty for oh, Thursday night, and just it had a great time. But my best food of the weekend was some fine pimento cheese I was gifted for my birthday. Well, you can't beat that. You can't. Um, Amy Witten, who I, we both yeah. know, it's a. a wonderful trainer lawyer barbecue king and queen uh actually yeah her partner trudy is but amy is a champion pimento cheese maker oh it was, it's yeah trudy who we've had on several yeah, times talked to us yeah, about but, uh, she's very uh, into the barbecue i actually posted my favorite meal of the weekend which you know these were leftovers from the retreat right a frito scoop with amy witten pimento cheese Topped with leftover tabbouleh oh, from yeah. Kate. Does that sound like a great meal? It's very or what? international. On a paper plate. Yes. With a Diet Coke. Excellent. I know, but this is all about the culture of Southern flavor, so we don't have to talk fancy around no, here. No, no, not at all. So over the weekend, I think you also dig, did some digging into our Facebook page, Cooking I, and Coping. Yes. We, we've. Uh, we haven't talked about it much lately, and we, we were just talking about how we need to kind of clean it up and revigorate it and reinvigorate it and, 
And but anyway, we did have several people uh, carrying on conversations throughout the week. Right. Yeah, it's been really, really lively. You know, we have almost 7,000 people 7,000 now. now. Yeah, okay. a communi- uh, you know, worldwide community. But there was some really fun stuff going on. But one thing I really appreciated uh, was one of our regular posters, uh, Jane Swearingen, sent an article about uh, peanuts and co- Coca-Cola. Yeah. Not Coca-Cola, but we talked about that a little bit. Last weekend, and we just kind of uh, dipped into what an old Southern tradition that is. And she sent uh, an article. A blog. From a blog called Shaun of the South. And I know you've heard of that blog. Yes, and I have. I, I've, uh, I've seen it from time to time, but the title of it is Coca-Cola and Nuts, C-O-C-O-L-A. We, Coca-Cola. We just... Uh, need to pay homage to the real name of the drink that we grew up, which was Coca-Cola. And according to the blog, uh, it's our generation's fault that we let this delicacy drop by the wayside. Exactly. I mean, because it's a complete, it's a protein. We've got your, you've got your peanuts, you've got sugar, you've got fish, you've got all these, all these wonderful yeah. things. But Carbonation, it talked about yeah. how kids used to walk around with a sleeve of planters peanuts and a Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola in a bottle and pour the peanuts right. into the Coke. So and, I, I thought that was a fun blog and, and I really appreciate, appreciate her sending it. Absolutely. And our our good friend uh, Enrica Williams says that she remembers a time back in the day that the Coca-Cola with the peanuts was a real pick-me-up. She said she thought of it as sort of the Red Bull of today or a cup of coffee in the middle of the afternoon. It was seen in her family and her tradition uh, as a pick-me-up because it had protein, it had sugar, it had the carbonation and and it was sort of a refreshing pause in the afternoon. Yeah, makes me want to go get a sleeve of peanuts right now. <laughs> yeah, and another conversation. I don't know if it's right to put it in the can, though. That wouldn't be right. Well, first of all, it'd be hard to get them in there. And uh, no. It, it's not. The I think same it'd be thing. a different, um, a different uh, reality. But anyway, another conversation we were having, it was either last week or the week before, was about the. The state of the microwave, and I think we got some additional <laughs> feedback about the microwave. We did indeed. Uh, yeah, we, we ended the conversation talking about 30 seconds, how the writer of the article, we said, he said, I'll just keep pushing 30 seconds and hoping my oatmeal doesn't boil over. And we had several callers who uh, talked about the 30-second button. And one of the things we forgot to mention, and this was called to our attention on cooking and coping, is bacon. Right. Bacon is the ultimate microwave dish right behind popcorn. Now, do you cook your bacon from raw to cooked in the microwave, or do you sort of oven cook it or skillet cook it, put it in the refrigerator and pull it out and, and warm it up in the microwave? No, cook it straight out of the package. I okay, take from a raw to pa- cook. Yeah, paper plate. And do you know how long you cook bacon? I do. I cook it in my microwave. It's a minute per slice. A minute per slice. So, if and I that have, gets it just to the temperature and the it gets it texture the that you're looking for. That my family likes. Excellent. Good tip. You know, also someone uh, asked a question or brought up a conversation about flour and how to. Keep flour. How long is flour good? What are some good best practices around the flour? And today we're lucky 
that uh, Java's away, but Kevin Farrell is here. And Kevin Farrell, who makes cookies uh, and bakes for the staff here at MPB, every Monday, Kevin uh, features a cookie. And tell us what today's cookie is and if you have any insight on uh, taking care of flour and using flour and preserving flour. Uh, today's cookie is uh, maraschino cherry and uh, chocolate chip uh, cookie. So uh, put a little pink food coloring in so that uh, October, as we all know, is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So this month I did a couple of batches of pink cookies just to make sure that everybody is aware of that and uh, to remind them about that. But, uh, you know, with the flour question, I tend to buy the little small bags. I guess it's maybe the one-pound bag uh, at Kroger. And then because I bake every every week – I'm going through flour pretty quickly, so I mm. unfortunately have not had to deal with the is it still good uh, debate. Do you keep it in the refrigerator or in the pantry? I keep it in the pantry, and I bought some uh, containers. So it's a plastic container, but it's got a little bit of a, a locking mechanism at the top to kind of help keep it uh, airtight, I think. But it uh, seems to work fairly well. It's, I use one of the, the larger ones for that because – if you if you're a cookie baker, you know you you're going to need flour almost. I mean, I don't think I've ever come across a cookie recipe that didn't have flour. <laughs> yeah, right. that would be strange. <laughs> and uh, Kevin, uh, how many weeks have you been doing these cookies? Uh, I think I'm up to 110. I think so. Yeah, I mean that is consistency. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, and Malcolm and I get so tickled because we're waiting, you know, to come on the air in the green room. In the green room, which is gray. <laughs> And we see people coming in the side doors looking for the cookies. Yeah. And like last week, they swooped upon them, and we didn't even we get We didn't one. even get a cookie. Yeah, last week, the you know, I bring the cookies in, and last week, that that batch did not last until 10 a.m., and I think that was the— No, uh, no, no, no. They did not last until 9 a.m., because <laughs> right. we were denied at 9 a.m., well, I don't want to throw any coworker under a bus, but I, I will say that I've tried to gently uh, and my, you know, usually I send out a thing that tells what kind of cookie is. I've been trying to gently remind everybody that we all need to share so that when there's eight dozen cookies, grab as many as you can. When there's a limited supply, maybe one <laughs> per customer. <laughs> uh, so do you use um all-purpose flour, white all-purpose bleach flour when, for your cookies? Yes. Um, most recipes call for that, although I did learn, too, that um, to make self-rising flour in all-purpose flour, I think it's just adding baking powder or baking soda. I can't remember. But it's easier for me to just get the, the all-purpose because most of the recipes call for that. Gotcha. Yeah, and, you know, white flour, the refined white flour actually keeps quite a while. It keeps, you know, up to a year if you, you know, store it well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I store mine you know, in the bag, in a plastic bag, then in the locked, the airlocked thing, because uh, we seem to, you know, have a lot of critters out in the country. So. And a lot of people put it in the refrigerator. But I, I don't. Yeah, but, I, uh, I don't. I don't really. I don't get that. But I, I, I think that's think for people it. who rarely ever use their flour, and they think, well, I better put it in the refrigerator. But and, but you know, you know, the, like whole wheat, whole grain, and stone ground flours, they don't have as long of a shelf life because they have, you know, they have more uh, wheat germ in them and more fat, and they tend to go rancid faster. Mm. So you really have to check those flours, and it's just like. A lot of foods, I mean, you can look and smell, uh, you know, use your senses to know what you're doing. 
Right. If it looks weird or if it starts to turn a little musty or, or sour, or, right? That's when you know. You let it go, Malcolm, and get yourself some you fresh flour to let it go, and get some fresh flour. It's not that expensive. It's not going to break yeah. the bank. So keep your keep your flour fresh. I think that's the tip of the day in that regard. So what was cooking at your house this weekend? You know, uh, I, I cooked a few things. Um, I had hot dogs one night. I know that sounds boring, but I it love not. a good – I broiled it. I broiled the wieners, which were really good ones that care about me at Whole Foods, um, in, the, in the oven – and I got them roasted really nicely on both sides. And then I, I used the top bun, the top slitted bun, not the side slitted bun. Some people love that one where the wiener goes in the top versus You're the such a now guy. Side. And and I made two. And one I dressed with a, a mustard sauce and some uh, salsa, which I really like on my hot dog. And then the other one I dressed with uh, sweet pickle relish mustard and mayonnaise and and then i had some uh, crinkle cut french fries to go with them sounds pretty pretty fine you know i think you're really brave mentioning the hot dog on this show it comes because uh, with a great responsibility the last time we mentioned the hot dog on this show the call board lit up yes and 40 minutes later we were still talking about the great American hot dog. Hot dogs and all, Which is the, not American, and but all the weird things people do with them. Yes. You know, they buy little presses on Amazon that you can put the hot dog in bondage and mm. put it in your microwave. They have little cutters that yeah. make it look twirly. Well, you know, I, what I like about that is it, it grills in further into the wiener. Um, if you cut it open or slice it or... Put it in the uh, whatever that thing's called. <laughs> it has a name. Remember, we looked it up. I know. We uh, anyway, were so amazed. It exposes the meat more to the cooking, and, and you get more of a char, more of a grill mark, a deeper cook. Not that the wiener needs cooking, because frankly, it's already cooked. You're just sort of warming it up. But yeah. Anyway, yeah. I love mine nice and charred, opened up a little bit exposed, uh, flared, if you would, a flared <laughs> well, dog. Well, I need to call you out a little bit on the mayo because one of the things that people were just, you know, railing on and on about is no mayo and on hot dogs, but I see that you've made a move in that direction. I say they should mind their own business when it comes to, <laughs> to condiments. <the> <laughs> <laughs> you know, and here's another thing. I sent you this article because I was fascinated about it, and that is, the perfect time to eat, whether it's three meals a day, what we learned growing up, three meals a day, breakfast the most important meal, or don't eat late at night, don't eat right before you go to bed. We're going to talk a little bit later in the show about uh, we have checked in with some experts and read some um, some research about this, and we're going to talk more about it. If you have an opinion about <laughs> time of day to dine. Or hot dogs. Or hot dogs. We'd love to hear from you. You can simply shoot us an email to food at mpbonline.org. Carol Palmer, Malcolm White, Kevin Farrell sitting in for Java Chapman, who is away, hopefully eating well wherever he might be. Yes, and Rachel Carter.
Rachel Carter. And before we get deep into Rachel Carter, I just want to thank you, Rachel, for actually getting up and driving two hours to come be with us in person because it makes a difference. Yes. Welcome. You're live. That means you're enthusiastic and ready to talk about the food trail. Yes, I am. Thank y'all. Great. So Rachel uh, is with the Mississippi State Extension Office and the Center for Government and Community Development. That's a long title. It is. But it's housed at Mississippi State. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And you live in Starkville? Yes. Great. And uh, so you have a new program. Uh, it's a partnership uh, with the Mississippi Hills Heritage Area, an organization, Carol, that you and I worked with a lot when we were at the Arts Commission. Exactly. And uh, we have three heritage areas in Mississippi. Many states don't. Many states may have one, but we have three. We have the Delta Heritage Area. We have the Hills, which Rachel will speak about here in a minute. And then we have the Gulf Coast Heritage Area. So we're very fortunate. We have three distinct areas that that deliver, you know, cultural and heritage programming and information and guidance for visitors and locals alike uh, in those areas. And of the these state. Are, these are federal designations. Uh, you know, a lot of people worked very hard for a very long time to get these designations. Absolutely. And, it, and it's important for Mississippi, and we are so proud of the work you're doing up there, Rachel. Thank you. The Heritage Areas are such a resource for our state. We partner with them quite often. Yeah. Well, tell us about the Farm to Fork Food Trail, which is exciting to, to hear about. Please share with our listeners. Okay. Well, it's it's brand new. We actually just got the site live a couple of weeks ago, and we created this as part of a grant project that we were using to increase direct farm sales with farmers markets, food businesses, farm stands, those kind of things. And we thought that it would be a great idea to close out that project with a regional um, attraction and to try to pull a lot of those places together so that they'd be easier to find and really tell the story of of local food in northeast Mississippi because it's it's unique. So you're organizing events as as well as just sort of guiding people to farmer markets, to food stands and and that sort of thing? Yes, as part of the project, we've had a lot of workshops and educational programs and things like that. And then as part of the food trail, we're trying to identify who is doing local food and where those farmer's markets are and what types of food events are out there and try to get those as many as we can on that website so that people can find them. We were talking, Carol, before you got here and Rachel and I were visiting, we were talking about uh, sort of all of the um, – Suppers, you know, that we now have these harvest suppers. Oxford mm-hmm. has one. Yep. New Albany has one. You were telling me, Rachel. Yes, Aberdeen, Mississippi Aberdeen has, one as well. has one. Now, I don't know if that's unique to the hills, but I do know that these communities come together once a year and sort of have a big harvest meal, usually outside or in a public place, and they feature all the foods of the seasons and the harvest, and it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, tell us about Aberdeen. Now, Aberdeen, Mississippi, for several years, and Tackett at the Main Street office there in Aberdeen has been doing a farm-to-table dinner. And I don't know that she has done it post-COVID. I believe she did at least one time. But what they do is they get farmers all year long. They actually bring produce to them there at the Aberdeen Depot, and they they freeze a lot of it so that they'll have enough to be able to do this big dinner for the community. They do things like squash casserole, things that are authentic, not fancy, mm-hmm. is, is, the, is the way they go about that. Yeah. 
Well, uh, Carol, have you attended the one in Oxford? It seems I have. Like. I thought it, you had. I, ha- yeah. I have in the early days. Now it, it, it's just huge. Yeah. I mean, hundreds of people uh, under under the lights and the stars. It, it's probably coming up really, really soon. Um, yeah. I, I think I'll, I'll try to look that up. But it, it's a fundraiser for the the museum up there. Right. And um, New Albany has a big one that uh, they set up right on the banks of the Tallahatchie River there. Uh, in de- right off of downtown. But anyway, great idea. And what uh, what other things are on the trail, Rachel? Like restaurants? Uh... Yes, we, if there are restaurants that are featured on the trail, we're going to be adding some really great videos that Mississippi State's TV Center has done uh, very shortly. We just got those finished last week, but we do highlight restaurants. There are agritourism operations that are there so people can get out and experience farm life with their families. And so that's a that's a great activity for fall. So we're really pushing that for fall. There are farmers markets there, and mm-hmm. there are also um, some different information about food festivals because the sweet potato festival is coming up November, the weekend of November fourth in Vardaman, Mississippi. And so that's a that's a key agricultural product for Northeast Mississippi and the Hills region, sweet potatoes. And we were talking about other food festivals that we could identify, Carol. We we mentioned the Slugfest in Corinth. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, the I think— Slug Burger Fest. Slug Burger Fest, which should be called a Weeks Burger, but we'll leave it at that. Okay. And— uh, you know, we had the hot. We had the hot. We have the hot tamale festival in Greenville. We this week. This that's weekend. right. Uh, the turnip green festival unfortunately didn't happen last year, but in Boonville there was a turnip green festival, and there are other food festivals around as well. But Rachel, y- y'all have designed these custom itineraries for the trail that help people to eat their way through certain areas. Is can you explain some of that? Yes, to we us? wanted those itineraries to be crafted by local people. And so we asked people that live in the areas, whether they work for a Convention and Visitors Bureau, a Chamber of Commerce, Main Street, or if they were a member of the Hills Heritage Area, to, to submit itineraries to us that not only that highlighted their local farm products or people that were selling those or restaurants that offered that, but also to add in some cultural experiences as well so those itineraries have more to do than just going to one place and we would definitely encourage other people if they would like to submit some itineraries to us we we would love to hear those stories because you local people tell the local story better than anybody and what you have already is the starkville itinerary yes you have the tupelo itinerary and you have the Holly Springs itinerary already developed, yes. right? Yes. And those are on a website? Yes, those are on the website. You can actually go to the Heritage Area website and under the Explore tab, and you'll see all about the food trail, and you can see those custom itineraries. And that's the um, – do you know the exact website address for people? MississippiHills.org. Okay, MississippiHills.org, and then go to the uh, – Explore, and Explore. or you can type in slash – Food dash trail. So you don't have a standalone website for the trail. It's in it's in there. Yes, it's it's on the Hills Heritage Area because we trail. thought this that would be more effective because mm-hmm. it's a it's adding another cultural layer of experience to the to the Hills region. Hmm. What sets apart the food of the of Northeast Mississippi? Um, it's very it's it's home prepared. That it's about. I would say when you think about it, I think about growing up on a farm, and I think about that was part of what we did is we prepared food for everybody that worked there on the farm, and that was an experience because we were preparing food from our garden, and we were showcasing those recipes that that had been handed down. And so that's one thing that's unique. And the other thing is that 
it's really all about bringing people together, mm-hmm. eating together in Northeast Mississippi. And you, you talked a little bit earlier about the church dinners and that your church actually has a fish fry coming up, I think, this weekend, right? Yes, yes. We, we still do that. And they're having a catfish fry, and it's just a way to bring people together and just celebrate um, living in Mississippi. And I know this is your area of of the state, Malcolm, and I'm not as familiar. But, you know, going to the Oxford Farmer's Market, you know, I started learning that we have an Amish community mm-hmm. in northeast Mississippi that raises, you know, chickens and lots of produce. And then one of our great cooking and coping friends, Tim Pierce, always talks about Pontotoc tomatoes. Ripley. Ripley tomatoes. Ripley oh tomatoes. my God! But it's Ripley, Tennessee. Okay. Remember, I made the mistake of thinking it, it was is. Ripley, Mississippi. But that's all part of of that world up there. Yeah, you just can't draw a state. Uh, no. you know, a line. It's around. like the catfish. You know, it's uh, all in that part of the world. As yeah. as are the slug burger, the dough slug burger, burger. burger. Yeah. 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 Well. Um, Rachel, tell us what other activities um, that your office is involved with that, that relate to arts and culture or just the stuff that y'all do at the Extension Service. Fascinating concept to me, what all goes on there. Okay. Well, we're, uh, as we said before, we're housed in the Center for Government and Community Development. And a lot of what we do is just helping towns be successful and focusing on those local resources and how can you build on, on what you've got in your community. And one thing that we've got coming up, Next week, actually, is we're doing the Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee Rural Tourism Conference in Cleveland, Mississippi. And we've got a lineup of fantastic speakers there. And other things that we do are um, we work a lot with Mississippi Municipal League doing training for elected officials in community economic development. And that's always a big, rewarding experience. And then other things we do are economic impact studies to help measure events, especially Yeah, events. We, we were talking about all the different events that you guys have participated in to do economic de- uh, economic impact and we're talking about the peter anderson festival and yes. ocean springs uh what were some of the others you were telling me about that you've done uh, we've done the tamale festival we've done the um the barbecue festival in cleveland mississippi um we've done several events for greenwood helping them in the delta and um also cruising the coast for ocean springs that was several years ago mm-hmm. i was telling her we need to Book Festival, I don't know if we have an economic impact study there, but also the St. Patty's Parade really needs an updated one. So we're going to talk about getting Mississippi State You've Extension Service. you got to service. the right person Yeah, here. it just happens, you know, when you live a diverse life, Carol. Oh, yeah. All sorts of things. Well, I wanted on. to talk a little bit about Starkville because, um, you know, the whole Little Dewey's thing fascinates me. So talk to us about Little Dewey's and what their product is. The, the product that, that Little Dewey's has that local is is the catfish. So that's one of the products that they're offering. But they offer a lot of just wonderful food, barbecue, um, and it's it's a staple in Starfall. And there's a lot of restaurants that are just really, really good. We have a great food scene there. Well, it was the first place I had ever seen fried ribs. Ah, at Little Dewey's. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, ribs are, all, are delicious in themselves, but I mean, deep frying them mm-hmm. sounds like fair food, Mal. Yeah, yeah. The fair has uh, packed up, I believe. It's headed out of town today, and I hope everybody got their fair share of the fair food. Uh, Kevin, did you make it down to the fair this year? Uh, yes, I did. Um, I had a euro, so 
Huh. Uh, and then went all the way to the I state fair to get the deep fried Oreos, but instead tried the deep fried peanut butter and jelly. Can you report Ooh. out on that? Uh, it was a crustable, so that's a little <laughs> past. I mean, I'm a little too old to to know crustables, but I kind of knew what it was. Uh, but I grew up with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, so I definitely had to try it. I would. The only issue was the jelly kind of liquefied a little bit too much, so I wish there had been a little stronger jelly presence. But the with, but the peanut butter with the deep fried was was quite good. Hmm. Interesting. So you passed on the Oreos this year. Well, I wanted to try something else, but and I did like the peanut butter and jelly thing. But afterwards, I'm like, I probably should have stuck with the Oreos. Yeah, something that you know. Yeah, that, that's that's pretty cool. Are there other? Um, Rachel, are there other dishes or items, food items that you can think of that are sort of unique to the Northeast Hills? Um, things that maybe from your childhood. Did you grow up in that part of the yes, world? Yes, yes. Yeah. I'm actually so. from Holka, Mississippi. Holka. There you go. Yes. Population of about 500. So you grew up rural, much very, like myself. Yes. Very yeah. rural. It was a wonderful way to grow up. Um, and the things that that we always had were, were butter beans yep. and biscuits and those kind of things, fried chicken, and that was just a staple. Did y'all brine your fried chicken, as in soak it in some sort of salt solution or sweet tea or buttermilk or something? That seems to be quite a fad these days. Of buttermilk. Buttermilk. Yes. Overnight? No. No. Just wash? Yes. Just, 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 for, just for a little while. Uh-huh. Hmm. Did y'all cut your own chickens up, or yes. did you buy them already? Did you raise chickens? Yes. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> One of the worst things I've ever experienced in my life, and I only did it a couple of times, was harvesting the chickens, and it was it was a mess. Yeah, I did not do that. Not for me. Me neither. I had to try it, but uh, not so much. Not so much. You ever eat rabbits? Yes. Wild rabbits? Um, once. Once. Yeah. And? Not for me. Oh, you don't care for rabbits? No, no, okay. I don't. All right. <laughs> Interesting. Carol, you, uh, are you a rabbit eater? Uh, I, I'm a rabbit preparer. I'm going down the rabbit trail. No, you are going down, you're going down a rabbit hole. But yes, I'm a rabbit preparer. In fact, um, I, a couple of years ago, uh, butchered a rabbit and uh, cooked it. My husband is a big rabbit fan and did. I was, I was trying to emulate a dish that our Chef Taylor Bowen Ricketts did with rabbit with gnocchi. Oh, rabbit gnocchi. Yeah, yeah. Well, with, that would be a with, great it side. It was, dish. it was. But uh, my, hus- potato dumpling my husband with is a is a big fan. I mean, they eat mm-hmm. a lot of rabbit in Europe, and um, yeah. you know he lived there and and really enjoys it. But um, I, I'm on your site on the phone. This is a gorgeous website. And one of you know, the way it's arranged, uh, I'm looking at the agritourism section. And tell tell the listeners what, what you mean by that. So agritourism, um, one of the definitions that the Mississippi Agritourism Association uses is that it's a going to a farm that's actually a working farm and experiencing learning about the farm and experiencing some type of entertainment activity. It can be more than that. It can be a rodeo or a horse show or a livestock show. That That's agritourism, too, in, in my book. But what this is talking about is actually going to the farm and experiencing a wonderful day at the farm, learning about livestock, learning about growing different farm products, picking your own pumpkin, 
a lot of farms do sunflower mazes, corn mazes, Mm -hmm. and then they add in a lot of activities for kids as well. Like some farms will do like a little miniature train ride or pony rides or hay ride, sell Mm -hmm. ice cream. I know Wise Family Farms is offering um, ice cream that they're making from milk from the local dairy, which Mm -hmm. is a pretty neat um, experience and just adding another layer. And does this involve, like, the you pick them places? Yes, there's yeah. you pick operations. We don't have as many of those in North Mississippi. We do have the um, the peach orchard there in Pontotoc. The Cherry mm-hmm. Creek Peach Orchard is actually on the site, and so that's a great place to go to if you want to get peaches and blackberries and things like that. I haven't heard that term used around here. I know, like, in Italy, agritourism is a is a big thing, and they have yeah, agriturismo is is the is the term, but you stay, you know, and agriturismo mm-hmm. has a, a you know, place on the farm where, I mean, it could be anywhere from you know two rooms to ten or fifteen, and it's a whole network. Uh, of places to stay, like bed and breakfast on the farm. Mm-hmm. So that is that's really Maybe cool. Add that to the mix. Maybe maybe Very somebody nice. will take that on. All right, we're going to take a break. We come back. Uh, we're going to explore a uh, very often discussed topic of what's the proper time to eat and how many times do we eat in a day and what is healthy, what is not. Rachel, do you have a dinner time that you try to aim for every every day? Usually seven o'clock for me because I, I still have a farm, so I have to do all that. Seven p.m. Home. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Great. We are glad you joined us this morning in our studio. We have a special guest, Rachel Carter, from the Mississippi State Extension Office, the Center for Government and Community Development. But more specifically, she's here to talk about a new project entitled the Farm to Fork Food Trail that is a partnership with the Mississippi Hills Heritage Area. Rachel, welcome back. Uh, On the break, we talked about passing on some information who – for people who might be interested in being a part of this, businesses, farmers, chefs, restaurateurs, what have you. Yes, uh, we would definitely encourage others. Uh, we're, this is a work in progress, and we're going to be finishing up building this over the next few weeks. So if there are people out there that have a, a food festival in their town or a, a farmer's market or a local business, a restaurant that serves some of those locally produced products, then uh, send, send me an email. We'll have a more... Um, formal application process soon but right now just just let us know and that way we can get your information before the um before the committee and tell folks how they can reach you how they can send you an email and so that they could if they're interested they can follow up sure you can just send me an email at rdm1 at msstate.edu or you can find me on the mississippi state extension service center for government and community development you can search that with google and i'm on that page Hmm. rachel before the break too we were talking about that you live on a farm yes i do i do so how how do do you work all day and farm and get all that in well our our farm is um we have we have cows on on our farm and then we have horses and so that is that's not something where you're it's day to day we don't have that many cows or that many horses so it's not something where i'm having to work day to day on that but i do have to come home and make sure everybody's fed and everybody's where they're supposed to be <laughs> doing what they're supposed all to the be cows are where they're supposed to be right right they're counted and uh, accounted for all right we got a couple of callers we want to take and then we'll, we'll we will get to the uh question of the day is what is the best time to eat dinner or how many meals or what to eat when but we've got uh robert calling from oxford 
and we'd love to hear about, I think he's offering up a squirrel recipe. Hello, Robert. Hello there. How are y'all this morning? Really well. You? Good deal. Doing well. Doing well. I've got a uh, squirrel hunt planned for this weekend and planned to take some game. Um, and I was wondering if y'all have a squirrel recipe. I, I don't even know where to begin, but, you know, I'm for sure going to eat whatever I kill. So I was hoping to get, get directed here. Well, when I was a kid growing up in rural Stone County, we we hunted squirrel and we ate them. And, uh, you know, we skinned them and then uh, butchered them, much like you would a, a, a rabbit or a, a chicken, really. And we fried it. Uh, fried squirrel was pretty common in my growing up. Rachel, did y'all participate in the squirrel? Yes, squirrel stew and You made the squirrel. stew. That's another good one. You want to... Talk generally about what, how you make a squirrel stew. Well, I'd, I was not responsible for making the squirrel stew, so I don't want to speak out of turn, but it's just uh, cook it cook it slow. Yeah, cook it down with vegetables and make a, a rich broth. Carol, you, have you a squirrel Well, leader? you know, our great friend Bruce Browning, who is sadly no longer with us, was uh, a squirrel hunter. And the first time I ever went squirrel hunting was, was with Bruce. And he actually soaked the squirrel in buttermilk for quite a long time to tenderize it mm-hmm. before uh, flowering it, flowering it, and frying it. he fried it, right. And deep frying it. Well, you have to remember that the squirrel is an extremely lean uh, character that, that lives out in a rough-and-tumble world, not like a cow who's catered to, you know, and or chickens that are kept in a coop and fed regularly. The squirrel's out there. Uh, on the hustle. So uh, they're lean and mean and sometimes tough, so you have to really treat the meat that way. And if I'm not mistaken, it's primarily a dark meat. I'm not saying I don't believe there's a breast-type piece on the squirrel like you'd find on the chicken. But I'm no authority on it, Robert. But it sounds like fun. So you- Yeah, and gravy, a squirrel with biscuits and gravy, mm-hmm. a great country breakfast. I remember one thing. We cut it up in small pieces. Because it was, like, you know, like quarter, quarter yeah. Well, even like smaller because because it's so it can be tough, and I, we like to fry it up and eat it with our fingers. So we kept the pieces small. Now with the stew, the meat just comes off the bone, and it's a whole different critter there. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, I've got the most experienced frying, so I think I'm going to go with that method. All right. Well, report out and let us know how it goes. I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear how you batter it and and what sort of seasonings you use on it and if you make a gravy how you make it and all that but anyway thanks a million for listening for giving us a call jesse's calling um from learned mississippi uh hello jesse what's up actually i'm from raymond mississippi but i just wanted to shout out to uh, rachel and say how wonderful it is to hear from somebody from polka mississippi i'm originally from bruce mississippi so i know what a long road that is from uh, (laughs) polka to startable (laughs) Keep up the good work, honey. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's a nice shout out. Yes. Uh, yes so you got some got some good home folk there Absolutely. supporting you. So, Carol, uh, John lived in Europe for many years, and I know they they eat a little later in Europe. They tend to uh, wait into the evening, and I have my own eating habits, and I, I just kind of want to go around and get everybody's feedback on. Three meals a day, yes or no. Breakfast, yes or no. Dinner, the most important one that we've raised here. What time do y'all eat dinner, and how did y'all arrive at that? 
Well, I can just tell you that John Palmer is just about to wear me out with <laughs> <laughs> cooking and dinners. I mean, he's like six five, and somebody was saying, "Say that man must have a hole in his leg because we eat." He eats a very large breakfast every day. Yes, I mean biscuits, sausage, eggs every day. Every day. Okay. Every day. And then? And then, but we eat late at night. So no lunch? No, 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 no. Big lunch. Big lunch also. Big lunch. And then um, dinner, unfortunately late, Mm -hmm. like 8 o'clock or 8.30, which is so totally foreign to anything I grew up with. But he loves to sit down at the end of the day and listen to music and have you know, read Unwind, and, and yeah. wind down. And he tells me he would really rather have dinner at 7 or 7.30, but it's hard for me to pry him out of whatever he's, he's hmm. doing. But, um, you know, growing up in a big family, I had six kids, and regulation was the only way to keep six kids is together, you know, having a lot, a lot of structure. Right. And so we always ate dinner at 6 o'clock. And that was what I was used to. And this article that we've shared goes into detail about recommending times of day to eat, what suits you best. But the one thing I thought was so interesting about it, it said that there really are no rules. It's each individual eats. They find an eating time that suits the family, suits their schedule. And they encourage us to eat often, not just to have two or three big meals, but to eat every three or four hours. Right, right. And and to not eat too late at night. I think they recommend. Yeah, within three hours of bedtime because, I mean, it causes acid reflux and indigestion and all that. But, yeah, the, the guideline is to eat within two hours of waking up hmm. and then eat when you're hungry for lunch, usually midday, and then eat between 5 and 7 p.m. Yeah. Or, op- or optimum times. Uh, and, you know, when I was reading this, I was thinking of my mom, and my mom was a health food nut. I mean, started back in the 60s when, you know, that wasn't, you, you didn't have a lot of literature about that. And I remember her reading a nutritionist called Adele Davis, and Adele Davis said, Eat breakfast like a king, lunch like a prince, and dinner like a pauper. And for me, that is a great way of eating. I need something smaller at night. But But most people like the big meal. The grand dinner. The grand dinner. Yes. Well, we I like to eat around six. Mm -hmm. Um, Kara likes to eat a little later. Uh, she prefers more like seven, like Rachel mentioned. Now, do you have kids that you have to regulate and keep fed? And not, not anymore. Mine's not, a student. They're gone. State, so I'm good. <laughs> so it's just, just cooking for one or yeah. two. Um, my, I cook for my husband, and mm-hmm. but he gets in late, so we try to have something ready for when he gets in from work. So that's a, that's what we do. Well, we've got a caller from Boonville, Mississippi. Uh, Northeast Mississippi. I, well, what we're talking about. She's not quite ready yet, but I'm excited when I see Boonville flash on the screen there. Um, but uh, what are some some of the other things the experts said? They said eat whenever you're hungry, eat multiple times a day. You mentioned the two and three hour 
and it, I think they also the article talked about being careful about what you eat if you eat really late. Yes, because fatty foods take much longer to digest, and they you know will sit heavy on your stomach, and that's that's when you get into the reflux yes. issues and the and the weird dreams. I would yeah, add. and um, caffeine, no bad caffeine at night, bad bad bad. Yeah, I don't know how anybody does that, but I see people doing it. Drinking coffee before they go to bed. I don't know. I do my coffee drinking in the mañana. All right. One uh, noteworthy item I wanted to share with our listeners is that we want to thank everybody who is loving our Sunday repeats and our podcast. Our May 16th podcast entitled Barbecue Tips, Carol just reached over 5,000 downloads. That's a lot of downloads. Indeed it is. And one of our favorite barbecuers, Eddie Wright of Eddie Wright's Barbecue, was the guest on that episode, and it just further proves that folks in Mississippi are really interested They're people of the in the barbecue. And Eddie had a big weekend at Jackson State Homecoming this past weekend. Man, oh, man, oh, man, I saw great videos of the uh, sonic boom marching downtown, and there were mm-hmm. people everywhere. You could hardly get out of Bellhaven neighborhood, but... I think, unfortunately, JSU lost the football game, but I think they won the halftime. They won the halftime, they won the tailgating, and they won the party. That's right. Uh, A couple of the women I was with over the weekend had to leave because of Jackson State homecoming. They were all dressed up and ready to go. And I said, oh, oh, I'm pulling for you to win the game. And they looked at me and they said, now we're going to win the party (laughs) and have fun. So don't you worry about us. Don't worry about the game. Okay, Kay from Boonville uh, on the line. She wants to talk to us about meals of the day. Hey, Kay, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? Real good. What's happening? Good. Okay. We live in the South, right? We're in Mississippi. Mississippi. The noon meal in the South is not lunch. It's dinner. Dinner. And the afternoon, the, the evening meal is dinner. I'm sorry. It's supper, supper not yes. dinner. Yeah. Yeah. Just wanted to make that perfectly clear. Well, you know, I, I'm all for that, and I think that is our traditional, I think it's our rightful meal schedule. I think industrialization and people having to go to work a lot, you know, not being able to come home for lunch mm-hmm. has messed with that. But mm-hmm. I, I'm with you, and I think, you know, that's what we do. On the weekends now, especially Sunday, but I wish we did it every day of the week. Well, there is that uh, traditional difference between dinner and supper. And supper. And I always thought it was one was served earlier in the day, but maybe it's just nuanced. No, dinner dinner was lunch. Rachel, probably growing up a farm, did you have a big meal at 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 the midday? Yes, yes, we you did. You call that it was, dinner or lunch? I believe they called it dinner because we okay. had to call the grain elevator and tell everybody it was dinner time. Ah, uh-huh. there you go. It's dinner time. Can I, can I jump elevator. in on this? Please. Yeah, go, Kevin. I've always heard that the definition of dinner is the big meal of the day. And for Southerners, as Carol said, especially on Sundays, dinner is lunch. Supper, I believe, is just an evening meal. Hmm. I think you're right. But I think the connotation of supper is not... Like with a uh, with a wine glass and dessert. I mean, supper is it's a sup a sup. It's a it's a sup. <laughs> and then there's brunch. My favorite. The brunch. 
It's yes. not breakfast and it's not lunch, but it's so we we have breakfast, brunch, lunch, dinner, supper. We have so many. Now, well, I'm going to add another one on cooking and coping. Uh, you know, some of our people. Yeah, the wonderful woman who moved from the Delta to Colorado, she she posts every week what they're having for lupper. Lupper. On Sundays. Oh, goodness. So that would be lunch and supper. That would be an early. I don't know. So add it, Malcolm. Yeah. Well, I, I tend to. Breakfast. Breakfast. Brunch. Brunch. Lunch. Lunch. Supper. Lupper. lupper. Dinner. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's so confusing. Uh, but we are interested in what our listeners uh, think about these traditions and these names of these meals that we take. What's important is to take them um, and to, uh, you know, this idea of eating throughout the day makes a lot of sense. But, I mean, who's got time to stop and eat? Kevin, what are your eating habits like? Uh, I generally eat uh, like a bowl of cereal for breakfast uh, and then try to eat lunch, you know, right around noon. And I'm an early a supper eater usually well about what you said maybe five thirty six o'clock yeah uh, because again i i go to bed the older i get the earlier i seem to be going to bed <laughs> yes wanna... i think that's exactly with me i used to stay up late and so i ate later I, I go to bed early now so i eat early so forth and so on but anyway that's what works for me well i'll tell you what it's been great rachel thank you so much for joining us thank you so much for and having me good luck with your uh farm to fork uh programming and uh Thanks for coming to see us. We enjoyed having yeah, you. Yeah, keep us in mind for some events. Malcolm's yeah. always running up the road to to northeast Mississippi. Absolutely, that sounds hill right. country. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by generous contributions from our listeners, and we thank you. Our show was engineered today by Kevin Farrell, from our co-host Carol Palmer, and our great special guest Rachel Carter. I'm Malcolm White. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.